Welcome to Hey YA. From great new books to favorite classic reads, from news stories to the latest in on-screen adaptations, Hey YA is here to elevate the exciting world of young adult lit. Hey YA is a book rap podcast hosted by Erica Azafetti and me, Tears of Christ. And we are recording this on January 13th, Friday the 13th. Ooh. I'm not very superstitious, but Friday the 13th is always fun <laughs> when it happens. How are you, Erica? Yes, I'm doing pretty well. Yeah, I didn't even realize it was Friday the 13th because it's like January, so I don't think of spooky things. But yeah, I, I do like a good 13th on a Friday. Yeah, I'm I'm still getting used to adding, you know, 2023 to the yeah. date, so 2022, yeah. but yeah. 2023. Ooh. I know. I know. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> it hurts. Oh. Yeah. moment like earlier today when I was trying to calculate how many years it's been since 1975 and I was like Mm. 40 40 years and I was like oh oh crap (laughs) (laughs) yeah it's been a minute time 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 is weird but we are here time is so weird we definitely are and yeah I have to get used to the 23 at the end as well but yes But it is a new year, new Mm -hmm. books, new fun topics, and um, even though we are just getting used to January, February is coming up really quickly. So we wanted to let you know before we really get into the episode that if you are looking for the perfect Valentine's gift for your bookish boo, you can gift tailored book recommendations. Your boo will let us know, let us, I mean, by that I mean let the professional book nerd here at TBR and Book Riot um, know about what they like to read and what they don't like to read, what their reading goals are, and what they need more of in their bookish life. And then they can just sit back while our bibliologists go to work selecting books just for them. So TBR has plans for every budget and you can surprise your bookish boo with tailored book recommendations this Valentine's Day and visit mytbr.co slash gift. And I had to read that ad very carefully because every time I saw Boo, I was like, it's missing a K. It's a book. <laughs> I was also going to comment on Boo because I was like, bookish Boo. Like, that's fun to say. And like, I don't know, I need to incorporate that into my everyday speech. Yes. Yeah, there's bookish, bookish Boo. Bookish you know. Boo. It does feel like a tongue twister. <laughs> yeah, it's kind of like a, yeah, you got to force it out. Like, bookish Boo. That's funny. I wonder who wrote that. <laughs> it's cute. It's cute. I like it. Yes. So, um, yeah, it is. It's a new year. What is new with you? I have started reading more nonfiction. Yay! Snaps nice. for Erica. I need to read some more YA nonfiction though. So oh. I'm going to be getting into that too. Wow, Soon. man, how could you find out about new YA nonfiction? I wonder where you'll go. I, I've i been thinking where. I have a couple ideas. <laughs> but yeah, I realized for me, I like um, listening to some listening to nonfiction, like audiobook, as oh, opposed yeah. to reading it. And yeah. like with fiction, sometimes I like re- like looking at the words, actually like reading in a physical book. But nonfiction, I like listening to it for some reason. I that was my sort of like entry point into really enjoying nonfiction too mm. was listening to audiobooks um, because I don't know sometimes something about it 
it's just more fun to listen to. Yeah, um, it is. Because when I sit down to read, I like escape and I like entertainment. Mm-hmm. But when I'm listening to an audiobook, I, you know, it's fun to learn new things. And there's so many great nonfiction audiobooks out there. Yes, there are. And then, yeah, it's it's kind of like when I used to watch Discovery Channel or listening to a really good podcast or NPR or something informative, like you said, where you're learning something. And then, like, the narrators are good and they make it more, like, theatrical as opposed to, for whatever reason, my poor little brain finds, always puts off reading nonfiction, like, you know, like, in a physical book or an ebook or whatever. And it just, yeah. So that's, like, that's my little personal cheat that I've realized. I'm gonna, nice. I'm gonna knock off some uh, reading challenge challenges and fill out your uh, reading log with oh, my new, yay. my new self-hack <laughs> that I've <laughs> discovered. Love it. Yes. Awesome. Yay. Uh, that is so cool to hear. So. What's new with you, Tirza? What's good in, in your bookish, your <laughs> bookish boo world? No, I'm a bookish, bookish boo that. world. <laughs> That's bookish funny. boo. Um, let's see. I have been honestly, the, I started off 2023 reading um, a number of adult fiction. Um, and I'm in the middle of rereading the Lord of the Rings trilogy for the first time in a very Ooh. long time. Ooh. And by very long, like I think it's been like at least 15 to 20 years since I, like, I was a kid when I read the Lord of the Rings books for the first time. Um, And I read them because the movies were coming out and everybody was excited. And I was like, I must read the book first. And now that I'm (laughs) an adult and I'm rereading them, I'm like, as a kid, I probably skimmed a lot. So it is fun to, like, go back and and reread. And, like, it's funny what you remember, too. Like, you you know, if you'd asked me, if you'd given me a quiz on the Lord of the Rings books before I'd reread them, I probably wouldn't have remembered hardly, you know, anything except for, like, major and broad strokes but yeah like as i was re-reading them i was like oh my gosh i remember this scene and like then this happens next so it's just kind of funny what shakes loose it, in your brain yeah that's so true so you were a skimmer as a kid huh i was the opposite <laughs> and i think that held me back i would oh, get yeah. caught up because i'm sometimes with like long 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 descriptions of like settings and stuff like it would bore me but i would get caught up in trying to picture it as a kid and then Aww. that would make me stop reading it and I, it never occurred to me to skim. <laughs> so you were ahead of the curve. Like, they're less ahead of me. Oh, so I never would have admitted that I was a skimmer because I was like that insufferable <laughs> kid who always wanted to read like way above her reading level and be yes. seen as a smart person. So yes. I wanted I people it. to know that I read Lord of the Rings. So like, but I also like got really bored at certain points because like, I forget they, it takes four freaking ever for them to get to Rivendell. And I'm yeah. just like, come on. Um, <laughs> and so I'm sure I skimmed because I want, like I wouldn't have quit or like admitted that it was like too hard or too boring <laughs> for me. So I'm sure yeah. I skimmed a lot. But again, it's funny. Like I, then there are other things that like stick out to me and I'm like, Oh my gosh, I'd forgotten about that. So, mm-hmm. um, you know, I've read only a couple of YA books since the start of the year, but I've really been enjoying my Lord of the Rings reread. And I actually have tickets to go see all three movies, the extended Ooh. cut in one day in theaters at what? the Alamo Draft House in Omaha. Oh, that's an all day event, I believe. It's, it's going to be like 13 hours in the theater. Like we start oh at like God. 10 a.m., but like I am so ready. <laughs> so yes. it is like, you know, the ultimate like nerdvana type thing that oh, I absolutely. have done. Um, and I'm really excited. We're going with a bunch of friends. And yeah, it's like, you know, one of those things that you get to do 
when you are a millennial nerd without children, you can just like go and spend an entire day at the Alamo Draft House. So anyhow, I'm I'm just going to live it up. Yes, please do. Is it like is it like an anniversary? Why are they showing all all three? Um, the Alamo Draft House. I, I don't know if you've ever been to one. It's like a really cool, like small chain of movie theaters. They show all sorts of things, like new movies, but then they also will show old oh. movies too, just for for fun because okay, people gotcha. love them. So yeah, I don't know if they're doing it for like any special occasion, but okay, they did it before. I don't think it was the extended cut though. I think they just did all three in one day. And we missed out on tickets, and I was like, oh, that's sad, but maybe if they do it again, and then they the, the tickets were posted, and I was like, yes, we got to get them, so. I think I've heard of that. I think they sell alcohol, don't they? They, yeah, so the nice thing about the Alamo is the movie ticket prices are pretty reasonable, and then, yeah. like, they serve really good food, like, actually in the theater, and you can order food throughout the movie, and then they bring it to your seat, and they have, like, themed menus for different, like, movie events oh. and releases, so... Yeah, that sounds I, so fun. Oh it's really great. If you live in an area where there's an Alamo draft house, you know, within reasonable driving distance, I highly recommend the experience. I saw Nope there and they had a really fun themed menu for Nope. That's so cool. Yeah. I love it. I'm going to have to check. I think there's one around me. I have to check. Um, that sounds amazing. You sound like you're living your best <laughs> nerd life. I am. I'm here for it. Um, we can get started into this new story we have, but quickly after we hear from our sponsor. Today's episode is brought to you by The Dial Press, publishers of The Prospects by KT Hoffman. The pressure cooker of minor league baseball leads to major chemistry in this exhilarating, sexy, and triumphant Rivals to Lovers debut romance. Genie Nescu is the first openly trans player in professional baseball. He has nearly everything he's ever let himself dream of. That is, until Luis Estrada, Gene's former teammate and current rival, gets traded to the Beavers. Now, Gene and Louise can't manage a civil conversation off the field or a competent play on it, but in the close confines of dugout benches and roadie buses, they begrudgingly rediscover a comfortable rhythm. As the two grow closer, the tension between them turns electric and their chemistry spills past the confines of the stadium. So this is one of the first adult rom-coms published by a major publishing house centering a gay trans man by a gay trans man. It also has ADHD and anxiety representation and some joyful, heartfelt moments. Make sure to check it out. And thanks again to The Dial Press, publishers of The Prospects by KT Hoffman for sponsoring this episode. Today's episode is brought to you by Greenleaf Book Group. No summer vacation should be without a great read. And I don't know about you, but I am partial to mysteries and thrillers for my hot month reads. It's hot girl reading summer always over here. And from the award-winning librettist of Legally Blonde, the musical and the screenwriter of Freaky Friday, Heather Hawk, comes the page-turning psychological thriller, The Trouble with Drowning. So when author Eden Hart floats into Tucson's Antigone books and all her dazzling perfection to give a reading, Kat, a struggling writer, can't help but compare herself. Thankfully, Kat's life starts to take on its own Eden-like glow when her literary future takes shape and she falls madly in love with Jacob. As demons from her past begin to surface, Kat's mental health craters and this halcyon dream slips through her fingers. 
For the fastest paced slow burn you won't be able to put down, be sure to check out The Trouble with Drowning by Heather Hawk on Amazon or your retailer of choice. And thanks again to Greenleaf Book Group for sponsoring this episode. Okay, so I know last time we spoke about this series, they both die at the end. Neither one of us had read it. I don't know if that's changed for you. I still have not read it. Have you read I it? still have it. I tried. Okay, uh. I started. I started. But like... I had this moment where I was like, I'm very much in a mental mindset where I don't know if I can read this book. <laughs> That's what I'm saying. I'm not, I haven't gotten, since we last spoke about it, I still have not gotten into a mental headspace where I can handle that. Yeah. <laughs> but people love, people love this series. It's one of the best selling from like, I think 2021 and or 2022. And there is a series that is in the works now, and Bad Bunny is going to be executive producing it. I still don't know what producers do, but... Um, I think they're... So, I mean, like, I am not an expert on Hollywood, but I'm pretty sure that producers are the ones that, like, hire the writers, find the financial backing. Like, they, they, like, make all the the behind-the-scenes stuff happen. Gotcha. Yeah, I thought they... I thought they did, like financial stuff but i didn't know if they did more but thank you that makes sense so yes they both die at the end there's going to be a series so it's not just one movie got some episodes i'm gonna sure it's gonna be super sad i know (laughs) i mean it's in the title but um i think that'll be really good uh for fans of the series and is it Oh, it's going to be adapted by Netflix also. So Nice. Nice. Yeah, should be good. So hopefully Netflix, I mean, they both die at the end. It's like the title and like, it can't, can it be a spoiler if it's in the title? I don't think so. But like, <laughs> you know, there's a, now there's a prequel and, and some companion novels. And so hopefully if this is successful, Netflix doesn't do the thing where they're like, oh, a successful YA book that we're going to make into a movie and then like not promote or market and then cancel after one season. Yeah, um, they are a mess, yeah. man. They are wild with that. Yeah. And I don't know if this is like a thing where they would try to like make more than one season out of it. But um, yeah, that's like my one complaint about Netflix. But I will reserve judgment until the time comes. Hopefully they see everyone complains about that. That particular behavior that Netflix does like all over the Internet. People complain. So hopefully they will heed that. But like everyone, everyone everywhere complains about that with them and they still do it. It's terrible. <sighs> but yeah, Ugh, for real. We cannot understand or know the business model of Netflix, I guess. Of Netflix. So I no. guess we'll just have to talk about books. We'll just have to continue with our bookish booishness. <laughs> yes. Love it. So yeah, we have some, we're going to be talking about some fantasy, good fantasy books, what we love in fantasy, all things fantasy and fantastical. Yeah. In looking at my Goodreads and trying to like, you know, refresh, like, okay, what am I going to talk about? I noticed some trends in my fantasy reading. Yes. Have you noticed any trends in your fantasy or is your fantasy, why fantasy reading like wide ranging and like um, you mix it up? 
So that's an interesting question because I know specifically what I like in fantasy, but I think it's sometimes harder to articulate or like mm. I can articulate what I like about fantasy, but sometimes it's harder to like match that to like actual existing YA books, like YA fantasy out there. Mm. And I feel like I'm going to sound pretentious when I say this. I don't mean to sound pretentious. Go right ahead. Um, I like this a safe space. <laughs> Thank you. A safe space with all of our listeners being like, what is she going to say next? Um, <laughs> no, but like I like fantasy that has depth to it. And mm. that is that try that like says something. Mm. And what I mean by that is. I think because YA fantasy is such a popular genre right now and it's such a popular market, we have seen like this huge explosion of YA fantasy novels that, you know, they don't they aren't all the same, but sometimes there's some real similarities. And yeah. I have found myself bouncing off of a lot of YA fantasy like book first books that I try to get into because, you know, I love fantasy and I'm always like, yeah, that sounds amazing. And mm-hmm. then like, I just can't get into it because to me, it just feels very much like, okay, here's a fantasy world with like maybe some bare bones sort of world building or vague world building. And then mm-hmm. there's like a strong female protagonist who must oh do this God. big thing. And she has to stick it to the man and then like wield a sword and have magic and a romance and then like you know overcome some some hard like plot stuff yeah and then like sail off into the sunset and i'm like "Mm, i'm gonna need a bit more from you (laughs) so i like fantasy that like explores big questions and they don't necessarily have to be like giant political plots or you know stuff like that but like when I'm looking at like what sort of trends I see in my fantasy like yeah I do have like the big sprawling world building with like complex plots that ask a lot of big ethical and moral questions and then I also have fantasy that's like a little bit more like insular and more focused on the character but still is dealing with like a lot of like these really soul-searching questions and like that is what I like in fantasy so Unfortunately, if it's if I feel like a fantasy book, like character wise or plot wise, is just not going to go very deep, I usually put it down. Mm-hmm. That's fair. Yeah, yeah. There, it definitely has become uh, very formulaic. And as you were speaking of the like the tropes or the trends you see that you don't care for, like that typical setup, that's kind of like substanceless. I was trying to think of any books that might fit that. And I thought of one, but I realized I mostly don't read them because I also put them down quickly. So I forget about them. I'm like, hmm, okay, that's not really working for me. But I do feel like, so I, I guess I do an, an automatic cutting of those from my like memory or whatever. And then I tend to stick to the same kind I feel like the type of fantasy I usually like, I I would say it's similar to what you said as far as needing some substance. Mm -hmm. I think characterization is super important because without that, you just have this world, even like if the world building is solid. Yeah. If I don't care about the characters, main characters especially, then I'm not going to really care too much about anything else. And I I tend not to read fantasy that has like super complex 
like maps and things for whatever reason. I'm not against it. I just don't gravitate towards that. Although one of the books I have to speak about does have a map and it's helpful in it. I like fantasy to take me somewhere else. I like when it's kind of linked to this world. Like if it's kind of jumping off of some already existing mythology or it's connecting to, you know, some other aspect of our real world. It doesn't have to. It just this is just things I've noticed that I gravitate towards. Like I like that for some reason. I don't know. I like I like when it's connected to mythology. So a lot of my fantasy books I have to talk about like uh, jump off of like Asian mythology, African mythology, indigenous mythology and stuff like that. Japanese mythology. Yes. Well, Asian is Japanese, but more specifically Japanese. So, yeah, but yeah, I have, <clears throat> that's interesting. They do really tend to have, there, and even that book you describe, like the, the trends or the tropes that you see commonly, like I pictured a, a cover for that book. Yeah. <laughs> As you were just, I was like, I know what that book looks like. Like I've seen it in Barnes and Noble probably. Yeah. You know. and, and like, I don't want to like, you know, harsh yeah. on any books in particular, just because they're obviously people who love them and who love reading them. And we all, I think, come to a genre for, you know, usually for the same reasons, but like we, there can be variations on like why we like what we like. And like, it's in the name, like fantasy. Sometimes people just want like a literal fantasy escape. And I don't think that there is anything wrong with that. Like when I tell you as a, as like a young, as a kid and a young teen, like I would spend literal hours just like imagining that I was a character in various fantasy <gasps> worlds. Like, oh baby, I, yeah, I did because I love yeah. fantasy so much. And like, yeah, I that's so cute. Yeah, my introduction to fantasy was like Robin McKinley and Tamara Pierce, and and yes. just like all that you know, really amazing fantasy of like the eighties and the nineties that you know, is, is like very dear to my heart, but Mm -hmm. I also have really enjoyed like the fantasy of like the 2000s and the 2010s where like you start to see more complex characters and more complex ideas and which isn't to say that like the 80s and the 90s weren't tackling complex ideas, but like I feel like fantasy, YA fantasy has only grown and developed um, in really exciting ways, but also with the popularity comes just like more fantasy books being put out there because you know publishing is a business and they want to put out books that they think they will sell and um yeah so sometimes some of it just does not some of it feels rushed and it doesn't really do it for me yeah that makes sense yeah then that's just my preference so yeah yeah of course what one last question what for fantasy do you prefer like fantasy capital f or do you like also like urban fantasy like stuff that takes place in our world but Uh, there's magic so like high fantasy versus i you know like real world or yeah Mm -hmm. i love a really good high fantasy novel where it's like Mm -hmm. completely different world yeah but i feel like i'm also way more picky when it comes to like the high fantasy novels i love to read and uh, but I do love stuff that's set in like our real world with like magic, whether it's mm-hmm. like historical or contemporary or urban fantasy. Yeah, I do like it too. Yeah, but I would probably read. I probably read a little bit less of that than I would like high fantasy. 
Yeah, I feel like I'm also picky with the high fantasy because sometimes it's a commitment. <laughs> it is. It's a commitment. It's like, here, here are seven <laughs> books that are going to become your entire personality. Yeah. Do you have Inter- time for this? Your entire personality. Excuse me, I am Grindle Fair from Wallendorf. <laughs> you will address me as such. Thank you. <laughs> exactly. Yes, exactly. So you got to make sure that your personality is set. But yes, so the so some of our favorite fantasy. What's one of your favorite fantasy YA fantasy novels? Okay, my like all time number one favorite YA fantasy series is the Lumetier Chronicles by Melina Marchetto, which I feel like I've maybe talked about on the show before. I love these books so, so, so much. And I love Melina Marchetta as an author. Um, she's amazing. And I've, and she's read, like, she's written a lot of different things. She's written, like, adult mystery, YA contemporary, and now, you know, these YA fantasies as well. So the first book is Finnegan of the Rock. And the reason why I love these books is because they deal with, like, what it means to, um, Basically, like the first book is like being exiled, being exiled from your home. So the the basic premise of this series is that um, there's this tiny little country in this larger continent called Limitier. And um, one horrible day, the royal family is killed in a horrific coup. And the main character of the first book, Finnegan, escapes. He's the son of the king's guard. He, um, in the aftermath of, of this coup, there's a curse laid upon the kingdom and basically nobody can get in or out of the kingdom. So half of the people are exiled because they're outside of the kingdom. And then the other half are trapped inside and there's no communication between the two. So Finnegan is an exile and he's wandering around all these lands in exile when he discovers a strange young woman who says that she can find the heir to the throne. He did not die, um, she, but she will only uncover him and let him, you know, basically take back Lumetier if Finnegan will round up all the exiles and bring them home um so that's the first book in this series and if you are at all interested in this trilogy i recommend not reading anything about books two or three until you've read book one because there are going to be some major spoilers but um i i just i really love this trilogy for how it talks about like what it means to be from two places and what it means to have to actually reckon with like atrocities committed in the past because they are affecting your present and they will affect your future unless you actually deal with them. Um, and then just, I, they have some wonderful characters and has a really great sense of humor too. So that, that is like my number one, like if you have to read one YA fantasy series or trilogy, I will always recommend the Lumetier Chronicles by Melina Marchetta. This looks like something I would have definitely picked up just from looking at the cover when I was like, like from my school library. Cause I felt like I, I saw, I felt like I've read books that sound like what you described and had similar covers and loved them. Yes. <laughs> so it was like, this is like definitely a my alley. And you did tell me to read that. And it is in my Goodreads as a one to read. Yeah. So that sounds really it's good. It's really good. The, the sad thing is, is that I think Finnegan of the Rock is like either out of print or on its way of being out of print in the US. The oh. the second like the second and third books are still in print and they're still like it's they're just recently enough out of print that you can still find used copies and definitely check your library. Um I I know that like I keep Finnegan of the Rock in my library just because I'm 
you know, sentimental and I check it Mm -hmm. out every now and then because I'm like, I don't want to get rid of it. And I do, you know, sometimes um, I'm able to convince some people to check it out. But like also knowing that it's out of print, I'm like, I've got to keep it. So um, maybe not forever because I know that that's, you know, not to abuse my library powers. But that is (laughs) that is one thing I do because I just love this series so much. Tirza over here crookedly putting books, like rubbing your hands together, like <laughs> they're going to read Finnegan of the Rock. Yes. <laughs> this is my evil plan. Um, yes. So it's my plan all along. Maha. I I mean, it's it was published in 2008. So I'm like, that's not that long. Why it's, is it out of print? But. Yeah, it's really not that old. And, and Melina Marquette is, you know, very, very well-known author in Australia. But I feel like her books, like she, she did win the Prince Award for Jellicoe Road in... And I think 2008 or 2009. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's not like she's an unknown entity in the U.S., but I think yeah. like the rest of her backlist just never really caught on the way um, she seems to be very popular in Australia. Right. So anyway, yeah, that makes sense. But that's like my one plea. Please read the series. I love <gasps> it so much. <laughs> please read it. Well, one series I love is manga. Jujutsu Kaisen by Gege Akutami. And it is, I probably have uh, spoken about this at some point because I mean, I like fantasy and I like to talk about it. So I'm sure I've mentioned this before, but it is about Yuji Itadori, who I didn't read the first volumes of the manga. It's an ongoing manga. It hasn't ended yet. I actually watched the anime. I got. I watched it like three times. I watched the first season like three times. It's so good. I love it. And in my impatience for the second season to come out, I started reading the manga. So the manga is also really good. But the first, I'll start, of course, with volume one, manga-wise. Um, Yuji Itadori is a teenager. And in the anime, and the, the anime follows the manga pretty well, actually, you see him and it's kind of like, there's something that's kind of like off about him. Like you sense this like kind of loneliness. He's at this school. He doesn't really have any friends. He visits his grandfather after school every day with like flowers because he's in a hospital. You could tell that his grandfather like basically raised him. So it's like if his grandfather's in the hospital, um, then who's at home? So it's just like you have the sense that he's just this lonely kid. And you see um, how he joins this in Japanese high schools. They make them, uh, they make the students join like um, these like activity groups or whatever for after school. Um, they can join basically any kind of little club or whatever. He joins this like what we occult club. I was trying to remember. I don't know. If, I don't remember if it's called a cult specifically, but it's like an occult club. They like you know finding out about local ghost stories and stuff like that. So. He is going to, through the occult club, they're going to um, come back to school after hours to do like this seance or something with a Ouija board, you know, something. Silly kid things. (laughs) And so he runs into this other, what he assumes, who he assumes is another high schooler, but someone who doesn't go to school. And he's looking for this, he says, it's a cursed item. And Yuji is like, what is that? I don't know what you're talking about. And the guy describes it, he's like, oh, it's a finger that's going to be wrapped in like this material and it's going to have a seal on it. In Japanese culture, like they basically like if you want to ward something off like evil or something, you 
wrap it with a seal, which is like some writing on a paper. And it's like, it contains the evil force or whatever through the magic, whatever. So he's like, okay, there's this cursed item by the school and he's looking for it. And he asked Yuji if he's seen it. And Yuji's like, oh yeah, we have that. We got that with our, uh, we have that with the occult club or whatever. And so the kid is like, um, I'm going to need that back. That is like a super important, dangerous object. And it will attract these things called curses, which they're, they're called curses in the show. I feel like they basically can just be called demons, but it's like certain people can see them. In this world, they're called jujutsu sorcerers, and but most people cannot see them. So he's like, that thing has such energy that it will attract these demons to it and anyone who's around will be in danger so i'm gonna need that back <laughs> basically and so you just like mm-hmm. all right well they go to the school to get it back and then they come into contact with the all the curses who are attracted to it so then they have to fight it and la 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 and so yuji this is like in the very first beginning so this is barely a spoiler yuji being the (laughs) he's a bit of a himbo being the brilliant sweet summer child that he is he swallows it because he um the kid told the other teenager told him like curses will be attracted to that cursed item because they want to ingest it to become more powerful so he's like oh if it makes you more powerful i'm gonna swallow and i'll get powerful and then he swallows it and then he um he takes on well he becomes possessed by the finger's original owner the original owner was or is was whatever sukuna who lived like a thousand years ago or whatever and was a super powerful cursed demon sorcerer guy whatever and he's super evil and terrible and now he has a physical body to inhabit in the form of yuji and so now they defeat the demons or whatever and megumi megumi's the other teenager Megumi's teacher comes and he's like, oh, so you're being possessed by this demon king. That makes you dangerous. So they bring Yuji back to their school. They're like super secret um, sorcerer school. And they're like, okay, so (laughs) here's, here's the deal. You can either train to be a jujutsu sorcerer and collect all these other fingers. So then we can like, destroy all of them inside you basically it's just the rules the world building they can't destroy them if they're by themselves outside but when they're in a vessel they can just whatever i just follow me so (laughs) i don't make the rules (laughs) so he's like you can help us find the other fingers and swallow them and in the meantime train to become a jujutsu sorcerer or we can execute you now so clearly obviously he chooses the path to becoming a Jujutsu Sorcerer. I love this series. It's so much fun. They have such great... One thing I like about this is it's a shonen manga, which is like just a specific category manga. It's like geared towards like adolescent boys. Obviously anyone can watch it, but typically shonen are like action. They're like coming of age um, stories. There's like action and stuff like that. So there's a lot of great action. One thing I love about this is Yuji is super goofy, so he's funny. Um, He's the main character, but they spend a lot of time with other characters and fully fleshing them out. They have some of the best female characters I've ever seen in manga or anime, like fully fleshed out, 
strong, capable, interesting, cool, all that, all that great jazz. And one thing I love about this series too, because like I said, I'm I'm a little behind on the current one, but I read uh, so much of the manga after I was impatiently waiting for the new season to drop. One thing I love is like people will die. No one is sacred. So uh, like in a, some some anime, shown in anime especially, it's like, you know, your your main characters, they have that main character padding. Nah, everybody can get it. Gay Akatami said she can get it, he can get it, they can get it. So <laughs> you don't know. <laughs> and like some characters may be coming. I was really upset. I was very upset when one character died. And I was like, no, nah, I'm going to need that main character padding. I'm going to need you to bring that back. Not the main character necessarily, but one of the main characters. So it's just really interesting. I think it's really cool. Um, you can start with the anime and read the manga, or you can read the manga, start with the anime. Either way, I think you're going to be hooked. I super duper like it. Again, Jujutsu Kaisen by Gege Akutami. Awesome. We are going to keep talking about this, but first, let's hear from our next sponsor. Today's episode is brought to you by Tor Books. So if you are a fan of epic fantasy, if you're a fan of Scott Lynch and or Joe Abercrombie, but you want something a little different, you want a hero who's like a bit of a mess, then The Silver Blood Promise by James Logan is for you in its Academy Dropout slash disgraced noble heir Lacan Cordova's life is in shambles. All he's got going for him is one, he is a card sharp of considerable skill and two, a lot of maybe potentially a little too much wine. So they're, you know, those are the positives. So when the bizarre murder of his father robs him of even the off chance of redemption, Lacan decides to make amends another way. He's going to unravel the mystery behind the killing, even if it takes him to the underbelly of Sophrona, a city of danger, secrets, and merchant princes. Finding the truth is one thing. Finding the truth and staying alive is like a whole other thing. So make sure to check out The Silver Blood Promise by James Logan on sale May 7th. And thanks again to Tor Books for sponsoring this episode. Today's episode is brought to you by Entangled Publishing's Red Tower Books, publisher of the smash hit Fourth Wing. You'll only cross these blades once in a page-turning new tale of revenge strategy and so many lies. Best-selling Red Tower Books is releasing its next year's read that will capture your imagination and keep you guessing until the end. May Corlin's Five Broken Blades tells an intricate high-stakes tale of five total strangers united in a plot that will test their strength, wits, and courage. Each has their reasons, all have secrets. But while it's easy to portray a stranger, it's not so simple to stab a friend or a lover, okay, in the back. Now these five blades must choose between vengeance and one another. Pick up five broken blades by Mae Corlin for a thrilling, adventurous tale filled with risk, romance, adventure, and oh, so many lies. The relationships in it are complex and nuanced and involve everything from friends to enemies found in biological family and lovers and more. Thanks again to Entangled Publishing's Red Tower Books, publishers of the smash hit Fourth Wing for sponsoring this episode. Okay. Um, so that sounds really interesting. And I do not read a lot of manga. So thank you for just the reminder that I need to do that. <laughs> I appreciate it. Yes, it's fun. 
Another one of my favorite fantasy authors, and I say that like favorite fantasy authors, even though she's only come out with two books, but I loved both of the books that she's come out with. And she's an auto buy author for me, Melissa Bashardost. So I really do like, like you, I enjoy um, like retellings and mythology and, uh, you know, just seeing um, stories from other cultures retold in different ways because they're they're new to me for the most part. So Melissa Bechardost has written two books, um, Girls of Snow and Glass, which is a retelling of Snow White. But what is so great about it is that it is a retelling from both the Snow White character and the evil stepmom's character's point of view. Um, so you are getting, you know, obviously the younger character, she's idealistic. She wants to believe that, you know, her stepmother, whom she adores, despite the fact that her stepmother is sort of chilly and standoffish, she wants to believe that she's like a wonderful, great person, but certain circumstances put her in danger. She flees the kingdom and she has to go far away. And um, then she has to kind of figure out her own path home. Well, that's obviously, you know, one side of the story. So then the other half of the story is told from the stepmother's point of view. And you learn that, like, she's not really an evil person. She's not evil for the sake of being evil. But she is, like, this deeply flawed and, and hurt person who makes choices that hurt others. And, um, you know, it's it's such a wonderful um, reimagining of of this story from the two different perspectives. It actually had me, you know, rooting for both characters. So I I really enjoyed it. Um, it's also got some really great um, queer rep in it, which I always appreciate. Um, and then her other, her most recent book is Girl Serpent Thorn. And it is a really fantastic retelling of a Persian myth about a young woman who's like essentially a princess and she was born poisonous to the touch. And so any living thing that touches her immediately dies. And as a result, she's been brought up just very isolated and from like all people and very few people know that she exists and very people, very few people know that she is poisonous to the touch. And she's like, you know, not like okay with this, but she manages it quite well until um, her twin brother is um, about to be married. And she realizes that, you know, people are growing up and they're moving on without her. And all of a sudden this curse is like, it just really bothers her. And she wants nothing more than to break the curse so she can live a normal life. And um, in order to break the curse, she seeks um, the wisdom of a monster. And this so-called monster really forces her to have this reckoning with, like, who who is monstrous? What are the qualities of a monster? Ooh, yes. And, hmm. yeah, and so she's always thought of herself as a bit of a monster hmm. because if anybody touches her, she they die, and she has no control over that. And um, she has to learn that, you know, that there's more than one way to be a monster, basically. And uh, it's really, you know, your choices, not who you are, not who you're born as, but like your choices that that make the person. And um, mm. what are her choices going to be? So I really loved it. I think I loved the second book more 
than her first book, although both are really excellent. And they're both standalone retellings, too, which is really nice because sometimes I get um, just like series mm-hmm, fatigue. Yeah. So I I really love Melissa Beshardost. And her books, again, are Girls of Snow and Glass and Girl Serpent Thorn. Amazing. Yeah, that's one thing that fantasy, well, you can do this with any genre, but I think it lends itself really well to fantasy is that this, you know, exploration of how we view things as a society, reexamining the status quo, um, like what you said, like, what is a monster really? And like the the retellings, I feel like, um, I would say, well, what different retellings, but the ones that are coming to mind right now are the adult retellings of like Cersei and like Wicked. There's a there's a tendency now or a trend to reexamine um, characters in stories that we've grown up with that were previously thought of as evil. Um, a lot of them tend to be women, <laughs> but mm, imagine that. that. I don't know why that would be the case, but um, I really like that. And I mean, <laughs> some some of them are just bad, like you know. But it, I I really do like that um, that that happens with fantasy that. Um, just shaking, shaking it up and making you uh, re-examine things. So I would say that that's a good segue into the next book I have, which is Ilatsue by Darcy Little Badger. And this is definitely a book where things get a second look at or are looked at a second time, let me say. Grammar, grammar, I can do it. But yes, so it's not a retelling it is connected to Lipin Apache uh, mythology and lore. However, it is about a teen girl, Elatsoe. Um, she grows up in, she's in America. It's so it's like, it's our world basically, but imagine our world, but with all of the mythologies of different cultures, like in existence, which is an interesting aspect and I really liked it. So the monsters and stuff, monster spirits, whatever that exist in her, um, from her Lipin Apache lore, they exist, as do vampires and the Fae and other uh, cultures, mythologies. And it, I thought it was just an interesting way to look at mythology because it kind of reminded me of... Um, I didn't read this book, but Neil Gaiman, I watched the show American Gods. I watched some of it. And there was this idea that uh, gods and goddesses and deities exist because people um, believe in them and give them the power to exist. Mm, So all of it is real and none of it is real at the same time. You know what I mean? Like all of it is valid. All of it is real. And it could not be real for someone else who doesn't believe in that, but their thing is real. You see what I'm saying? So I, I just thought that was a really interesting aspect of this world that Darcy Little Badger wrote. And so that's the setting. A lots of way, uh, she, she gets a dream one night and it's her, her cousin, her older male cousin comes to her in a dream. And he's like, I've been murdered. I need you to find out. He's like, I know who did it. I need you to bring this person to justice. The person who did it, he tells her is this like, this really well-known guy in this small town in Texas, if I'm recalling correctly. Yes, Texas. It's been a minute since I read this book. Texas. And he's like, all right, you got to bring them to justice. Also protect my wife and kids, please. So Elatsoe has this power. 
she can see the ghosts of dead animals and like communicates with them and stuff like that. It's a power that's been, or a skill I should say, that's been passed down through women in her family for generations. So her family gears up to go to Texas for the funeral of her cousin, but the cause of death is a car accident. So she's like, nah, he Mm. was murdered. And they're like, oh, but the autopsy is saying car accident. So what I liked about this too is that her parents immediately believe her. It's not anything like they're not speaking to her condescendingly. They're supportive. They're like, all right, we believe you. We're going to go to Texas. Well, they were going to go to Texas anyway for the funeral. But they're like, we're going to we're support you in this, but we need you to be safe. You know, blah, blah, blah. So she goes to this town. It's a small town called Willoughby. And it's kind of like this picturesque town. And it looks, you know, very quaint, very nice. And the person who her cousin told her murdered him is this stand-up guy who everyone respects in the town. And so she never doubts, you know, her cousin or anything like that. And she sets out to prove his guilt. So uh, another thing I liked about this book, she has a friend, a male friend who's a cheerleader. And I like that they don't have anything romantic going on. They're just friends. Like they're close friends. But Alatsue is actually asexual. And so I like that it doesn't always have to be, there doesn't always have to be a romance, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, it's, I, I've been seeing more books or at least, I don't know if more books have been published like this or they, or just that they've been coming into my awareness more often, but books where it's like, you know, we're friends, we're cool. Like we can, you know, spend time on developing this relationship that is platonic not romantic. So that's really cool. So there are some really cool moments where like her mom jumps up and like invokes this like indigenous power. I was like, Ooh, shivering. So I really liked what Darcy Little Badger does with mythology here. I love learning about lip and Apache culture. I love solving the mystery. Like we know who, we know who killed her cousin. We know that from the jump, but how did he do it? And there's more to the city, to this town of Willoughby than meets the eye. So it needs, that was when I was first started talking about the book, the second inspection, the second look. So yeah, this is a great one. It lots away by Darcy Little Badger. Awesome. And I feel so like abashed to admit that this book has been sitting on my shelf for quite some time. I know exactly where it is and I've yet to pick it up, but I will at some point. I promise. I cannot, like, end this episode without talking about one of my favorite fantasy reads of the last few years, which is Tess of the Road by Rachel Hartman. And I adore this book. I've read it twice since it came out. And, uh, oh my gosh, how do I even begin to describe how much I love this book? So... We were talking earlier in the episode about how a lot of fantasy, the conflicts are external and the plot is very external because, you know, you're either taking down a big bad, you're fighting like an actual, you know, villain who takes like, a you know, a real shape and form and is a, a character. But the this book is a little bit different. It is more of like a journey of self-awareness and self-discovery in a fantasy in a high fantasy novel and there 
are not as many books that do this. So it is the story of Tess. And Tess is living in this high fantasy world. And if you've read Serafina in the sequel, Tess is Serafina's little sister. So that is another duology of books that are also really great. um, And I really enjoyed them and recommend them. They're all set in the same world. You can read Tess without having read the Serafina books first. Um, But if you are like a purist, I recommend reading Serafina in the sequel before diving into Tess of the Road. So in Tess of the Road, Tess is basically the family screw up. (sighs) She has this older perfect sister, Serafina, who is so smart and so enigmatic and so beloved and she feels like everything she does is wrong. She has a twin sister who is very kind and sweet and lovely. And the her twin sister is basically everything that her family wishes that she could be. From the beginning of the story, you get the sense that before the book starts, a couple of years before the book starts, Tess did something to massively disappoint her mm. family. And you don't quite know what that is. But Tess has been desperately trying to make up for it by helping her twin sister arrange an adventitious marriage because it's very important to the family that her sister marry well. And her sister does marry well, but at the wedding, Tess kind of snaps. And Tess has a slight drinking problem. And she over-imbibes and basically ruins the the wedding and like embarrasses herself massively embarrasses her family embarrasses her sister um she has basically messed up so badly that her parents have decided like that's it we're sending her to the nunnery and tess is like i don't want to go to the nunnery and so she runs away (laughs) and she yeah she just you know she pulls on some walking boots she packs a small bag and she just hits the road like with a stick with a little cloth. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Basically, basically she like grabs a few little provisions and she just, yeah. she takes the road and she has no idea where she's going. She has no destination in mind. She is literally just running away from her past and she starts walking and she doesn't stop walking. So in some ways, this book feels very episodic because it's like, okay, she's over here and then she goes here and then she goes there. And, you know, she might end up over here next. But along the way, she meets a fantastical creature who is a childhood friend of hers that she hasn't seen in many years. And this fantastical creature is like determined to find this myth- other mythical being that has never been seen uh, or heard of in their fantasy land. And Tess is like, I have nothing better to do, so I guess I'll follow you. And along the way, we learn what happened to Tess's past, and what happened in Tess's past that has, you know, basically made her feel like she is so worthless in so many ways. And each sort of step along the journey gives her like another piece of the puzzle that she needs to find self-acceptance and healing. And the, you know, without spoiling it too much, it's very much like, um, like a me too type of story. Mm. And I mean, I'm not saying that real world, real world issues, and real world problems like that aren't dealt in fantasy novels. Cause obviously they do exist in fantasy novels, but to see it given so much space in the book and, you know, given, you know, seeing it being given as a priority in this book was really, I, I just don't see it very often in fantasy novels. So I really yeah, loved same. it. It's its a beautiful, brilliant book. And the sequel also deals with 
colonialism. So it kind of has like a little bit of a broader scope, but I really love what Rachel Hartman does um, in these books. So that is Tess of the Road. Okay, that sounds really good. Very interesting. And yeah, I have not seen, I haven't seen too many fantasy um, books, why books deal with that like explicitly, you know, sometimes it's hinted at. But yeah, that sounds really good. All right, the last one I have, because we are running out of time, is Ray Bearer by Jordan Fuego. I know I've mentioned this before. Let me mention it one more time, because I super duper loved it. It takes place in a in an African-inspired world. The world building is so nice. Like I mentioned earlier, it does use a map, and that actually helps me for whatever reason. I'm map-averse, whatever. Don't judge me. But, or you can judge me, it's fine. But <laughs> I, the, oh, it was, the world was so like, I felt like I could smell it. I could, I could hear it. I could taste it. Like the descriptions of everything. And this is another, this is another example of fantasy that I like being kind of moored in our world. Like it's taking from, uh, it takes a lot from West and North and Central African mythology but adds some adds to it. So like there are magical drums, but in West African culture, like drums can be considered magical and they can be instruments to communicate with each other for people to communicate with each other is what I meant to say. And there are just these different cultures and stuff that, I don't know. It's just, it's just this, it's just this like big, beautiful world. So anyway, it follows Terry Sai, who, when we meet her, she is this another lonely child. <laughs> another trend I'm noticing. A lonely child. She has these, she lives a life of luxury. Let's say detached luxury, because she has these tutors who keep her in this house that it seems like no one else can see. Like the people walk past and it's like she's invisible. No one can see her when she's like looking out the window. And she wants desperately to be a part of this outside world. But she's in this like house that has this kind of like invisible in invisibility layer or whatever. So no one else can see it. And she has this rotating pool of tutors who teach her all sorts of things. Um, just about the world, different techniques for like magic and stuff like that. And then she has her mother who she doesn't call mother, but rather the lady. And she wants so desperately to have a relationship with her mother, but her mother is very distant. She comes to Terry Sai sparingly and she sings her, she sings her this like song um, that she, Terry Sai holds dear to her heart, but her mother, the lady, has this one assignment for Terry Sai that seems to be Terry Sai's whole reason for existing, and that is to kill the crown prince. So she grows up with this objective, and when the time comes, when she's about 11 or so, there is a competition held in the capital city or whatever, and kids from all over the all over the land come to basically compete for the the prince's favor and what will happen is he will choose a set number of kids and they will basically grow up as siblings and he will choose to share what's called the ray with them and the ray is like this spiritual very deep like magic connection and through each ray there are different 
powers that are shared like through that connection. So they can even, you can kind of even like communicate through that connection and different stuff like that. So she has to convince the prince to choose her to be part of his council to give her access to kill him. So she goes to the competition. She gets chosen. This is not a spoiler. It's in the blurb, I believe. But then she has a conflict. She's not a murderer. Or is she? Like, she's been told all her life this is her life purpose. This is her, like, one reason for existing. So when the time comes, i.e. when she gets the chance, the opportunity, she doesn't know if she will be able to stop herself because there's some, there's a, there is a magical, let's say, a magical compulsion that is compelling her to kill him. So she doesn't know if she can control that because she starts to really love the family that she has gained from being part of the crown prince's council. Then we also find out her mother's motivations and why this whole thing exists in the first place. There's this underworld that the kingdom is trying to keep at bay. They take their children. Um, they have to, they have children sent there as a sacrifice every so often. So super interesting world. Really love it. Ray Bearer by Jordan Ifueko. Oh, another one that's perpetually on my TBR, but just how it is. It just ha- it's just how it is. Just gotta accept it. <laughs> yeah. And we are unfortunately running out of time, but I feel like we have to shout out very, very, very quickly um, an author that we both love. Yes. Which is Elizabeth Lynn. Yes. Um, we, you love Spin the Dawn. I love Six Crimson Cranes. We really like her for her Asian inspired fantasies and strong females and, um, retellings and all that good jazz stuff. So I love her. Yes. She's so good. So highly, highly recommend. Mm-hmm. But yeah, that's that's all we have time for this week. And, and I feel like we covered just like such a tiny little sliver of all that yeah. is amazing out there. But yeah, that's what we love in YA fantasy. And if you have any feedback for us or recommendations for us or just want to let us know what's up, you can always email us at heyya at bookriot.com. And of course, always leave us feedback about the show on Apple Podcasts or Spotify to let us know how we're doing and it helps others to find us. Um, don't forget to visit bookriot.com for newsletters, more podcasts and all things bookish and um, mytbr.co for you know valentine's gifting for your bookish boo your bookish boo yeah bookish boo (laughs) thanks again to today's sponsors for helping make this show possible and thank you to our awesome audio editor jen zink for making us sound great um you can follow me on instagram i hang out at at tears of price and erica how about you i'm on twitter at erica underscore easy underscore awesome well we will be back together and talking to you again in two weeks but until then happy reading happy reading happy reading